Hello everyone and welcome to the False Nines. This is the 37th episode, prime number, of a bi-weekly footballing discussion. I am your host, Zach Pensack, alongside my friend Adam Goffin. Adam, how are you doing today? Footy, Zach. The Champions League returns. Footy. Champions League returns in a matter of days. It is on to the round of 16, all getting tighter and tighter, especially for those English clubs still in the competition. But today we will be talking about the Premier League as always. That being said, a bit of a new twist to the pod. Say more, Zach. Yeah, we're going to take a break from our top-to-bottom table review, and instead this week we're going to do a bit of a spotlight episode um, in which Adam and I have both done extensive research on one club apiece in the English Premier League. We'll be talking to each other, teaching each other and the listeners uh, about that club, all the history of the club, current status, uh, and then just our opinions of kind of where they stand right now. So I'm excited for it, Adam. I don't know about you. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. I've been reaching out to my vast array of contacts in the UK just to try and get a little bit more well-informed on these teams. Um, do you want to do you want to highlight who we're going to be speaking about today, Zach? Yeah, so uh, in a reaching your hand into the hat and pulling out a name type fashion, I selected Sheffield United for Adam yep. and Watford for myself. So Adam will start us off by uh, running through everything that is Sheffield United, and then I will go into some history on Watford. Uh, that being said, Adam, let's just touch on the Premier League table uh, right before we jump into that, nothing too extensive as we are kind of in this in-between moment between uh, half the games played last week, half played next weekend. Yeah, the, uh, the old winter break, the first first time we've ever tried that in the Premier League. Kind of a winter break, kind of not really, but not, a bit weird yeah, to be honest. Weird. The FA Cup made FA Cup it very... Replays, yeah. yeah, the FA Cup just made it very like disjointed. Yeah, it's not... They're obviously still working on it. I'm glad that they're finally doing on it. I think that they should do it truly during the festive period because that's the right time to do it. Let people spend some time with their families instead of playing on Boxing Day because let's be honest, there's no need to do that. But I digress. Um, the league itself, Liverpool in first place, as always... 24 wins from 25 games and one draw. 73 points, running away with it. 22 points clear. 22 points clear. It's pretty remarkable. At the top of the we league. we talked about it last time that if the season ended today, they would draw the or they would tie with the best uh, gap ever in yeah. Premier League history. That's right. Insane. I re- I read a stat that if Liverpool's season began on November the first, they'd have the same amount of points as Arsenal right now. That's <laughs> <laughs> what is that, three months in? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Sorry, Dane. I know he listens to the pod, but that's a pretty funny step. That's pretty wild. Arsenal haven't won in... They have four consecutive draws. Nothing could better sum up Arsenal's season. That's right. That L- looking at the table, I know we're hopping around the league a little bit, but Arsenal have six wins. That is the least amount of wins in the top half. That is also... Um, the third lowest in the league. I was going to say, that's they they have the least amount of wins. Newcastle have more wins. Yeah, they have the least amount of wins uh, until you get down to 15th with Brighton. So that's that's, right. that's pretty remarkable. West Ham and 18th have the same amount of wins. And it's all those draws they have. They have 13 draws so far this season. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that they're in the lofty heights of 10th. Come on, the Arsenal. It's not not a good not a good attack and not that bad of a defense. <laughs> that's, what, that's what does it for them. So that is it. So yeah, from Liverpool in first to Arsenal midway through the table, 
Uh, and then bottom three, West Ham, Watford, and Norwich. So not a lot of changes there. Uh, important to know that Watford has played one more game than West Ham so far this season. What with this weird kind of you know fixture mm-hmm. list that we just mentioned. It's gotten uh, very tight around the bottom there. Mm-hmm. Just looking at those teams, like um, Norwich are pretty clear at the bottom in 18th. But then if you look 19th all the way up through 15th, You've got Watford on 24, West Ham on 24, rounding out the bottom three. You've got Villa on 25, Bournemouth 26, Brighton 27. Brighton in bad form right now. Not in great form right now. Now, winless in five. So are Crystal Palace, who are now down to 14th. They the were Palace plunge, Zach. The Palace plunge. The, the beautiful... Every season. Yeah, I mean, it, it really does happen. And it, it's wild because two weeks ago, Palace was... Or rather, three weeks ago... Palace was sitting on the fringe of the top half, but as you have mentioned, uh, I'll give you credit for this, uh, many times this season, it just talks about how tight the table is, the middle mm-hmm. of the table is this year, that you can lose three in a row and jump, or I guess dive from around 8th to 14th. Yeah, it's a pretty tough run run of games for, for Palace coming up too, so it's not going to get any easier for them. Poor old Palace, they need some investment in that team. All right, so um, that's our brief uh, look at the table, so 1 through 20. Uh, you want to get into our spotlight for the week? Yeah, absolutely. So as mentioned, we're going to be really digging into these two clubs today, and Adam's going to be starting us off with Sheffield United. So really, Adam, let's let's start from the beginning with Sheffield. Uh, do you want to kind of give me a brief history of the club, You know where they are located in England, I and maybe some other American listeners might not have as much idea as, as some of the uh, uh, folks who listen from the UK as really what is the deal with Sheffield, Sheffield United, and everything uh, around them. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so Sheffield is in the north of England. It's in uh, it's close to it's in Yorkshire and it's close to the Peak District. So a lot of people might have heard of the Peak District as a national park in the UK. Um, Sheffield itself, as a city, has two clubs in it: Sheffield United, Sheffield Wednesday. Of course, fierce rivalry. Yeah, you probably remember um, if you think back to Sheffield Wednesday, they, they've had probably more of a prominent history in the Premier League than Sheffield United have. Mm-hmm. Um, c- certainly, further back in the past. Do you know who's managed Sheffield Wednesday? Who is manager currently? Who has managed Sheffield Wednesday? Who are you getting at here? There's only one man that should be popping into your head. That's Steve Bruce has Steve managed Bruce, Sheffield okay. Wednesday. Yeah, well, that was his last position. Yeah, I know, exactly. exactly. I also like Sheffield Wednesday's uh, mascot quite a bit. Or yeah. their crest. Just the, the owls. owls. Very simple. The owls. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of Derby and the yeah. Ram. Yeah, they, although they, they definitely do. And Sheffield's a great city. I've actually had the chance to go there a couple times. Okay. So Sheffield actually annually hosts um, the World Snooker Championships at the Crucible. Oh, snooker. Yep. So I've been to the Crucible a couple times. Very cool. Is um, that a pool hall? Uh, no, it's like a big auditorium. They have two tables either side. That's insane. That's yeah, so it's, dramatic. It's, that's cool. My dad goes every year. He's going. He's going again. That's in a pretty sweet. Months, that's so. such an that's such an English thing to go snooker, watch. Yeah. <laughs> it's not snooker as well, by the it's way, snooker. for you Americans listening to this one. It's snooker. Lock that on. That's right. So um, another thing I, I would say that I, I actually went to in Sheffield while I was there was the Leadmill nightclub. Leadmill is really, really famous. Okay. Uh, way, way back in the day, I'm aging myself right now, it's probably 18, 19, I saw a band called Elastica. Okay. Um, yep, they have a song called Connection, which is pretty pretty famous. It goes... Love the bass intro right there. That's pretty much the whole song. I'll have to listen to it after we record But yeah, Leadmill is a lot of fun. Okay, cool. Had a good time there. So that's Sheffield. Yes. 
Do you want to get into the club itself? Yeah, I'll talk about so a little bit about Sheffield United. They were named as an offshoot of Sheffield United Cricket Club. Mm-hmm. They were founded in 1889, so a long, 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 long time ago. Um, they're actually nicknamed the Blades. Yes. Um, and that's a nod to Sheffield's steel production. Okay. Um, kind of like the Steel City, a little bit like uh, like Pittsburgh. Sure. Captain Blade is their mascot. Really? Captain Blade? Captain Blade. A yep. superhero. That's right. I and like if, that. And if you think about the Steel City, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie The Full Monty. I have not. Never I've, seen I've heard one. of that film. Is yeah. that a Guy Ritchie film? Uh, it's not a Guy Ritchie film, no. It's uh, it's really basically like it's about a bunch of working class men. I think most of them work in the steel mills in Sheffield, but it's uh-huh. set in Sheffield. Okay. Um, and they basically decide that they're going to become strippers. Oh, well. Like and they that. are no way like Thunder from Down Under ripped ripped dudes. Yeah, they it's are, not, they it's are not just some like Magic Mike, work, Channing Tatum type looks. Work, <laughs> working class, all the love handles, everything like that. It's, like, a, it's a fun movie. You should catch it if you, if you I catch I will it. reiterate what I said about the snooker tournament and now say this is the most English shit you ever told me. <laughs> it's good stuff. I like it. Okay. Yeah, so cool. history-wise, I, I mentioned they are founded in 1889. Yep. Um, they've only won one domestic league title. Oh, and that, wow. And that was in 1898. So not even in the last century have they won the league. That's wild. Uh, they've won four FA Cups and their most recent trophy was the FA Cup that was in 1924 so it's almost 100 years since Sheffield United has won a major trophy they've obviously won like lower leagues and things like that but they've not won a major trophy for that long gotcha and they've never ever played in Europe Zach that's wow that's fascinating they might do next year that adds a fantastic subplot to what's going on right now it's very cool alright pushing for the top four right now so yeah that's impressive yeah you uh, we're we want to chat a little bit about some famous players for them as well. I think we, we have a couple that um, that I came up with as well. Phil Jagielka came through their academy. Oh, really? Is he from Sheffield? Yep. yep. Yeah, he is. I believe so. Uh, James Beathy as well, who you might be familiar with. Okay. Mm-hmm. Played Names in recent years. Paul Pesky Salido, a little bit before your time. Okay. Welsh legends Dean Saunders and kind of Welsh legend Vinnie Jones, because he was definitely not Welsh, but played for the Welsh national team. Okay. I've heard of both of those yep. players. So. Uh, David Brooks. Oh, nice. Played for Sheffield United. Actually got sold to Bournemouth a couple seasons ago. Okay. And then their all-time Premier League top scorer um, is Brian Dean. He was Brian basically Dean. in the back in the 90s. when okay. they, were the, they were in the Premier League for two successive seasons in the early 90s. Brian Dean scored his majority of his goal there. Okay. So this is only their fourth season in the Premier League. I knew that, yeah. Yep. It, not... Not fourth season in the first in the first division and no, not in okay. the first division, but in okay. the Premier in the League Premier since, League since, since the start of the nineties. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so, that, that's a decent amount of you know fairly recognizable players. Yeah, some some good. Some Dean good Saunders players. might be, I think, the most prolific. Yeah, Dean Saunders certainly Welsh international um, played for Villa as well. Great, yeah. great player back in the day. For some reason, I've always for some reason growing up, I always just assumed that Phil Jackie Jaggy Elka was Australian. I don't know why. Like Jaggy Elka, there's something know. about that last name that just. Like that sounds Australian. To me. He sounds Eastern European to me. I you think like, so? Yeah. yeah, that's that's a good point. My name is Phil Jagielka. Yeah, or like my name is Phil Jagielka. <laughs> it could terrible, go either way. Terrible accents. Yeah, <laughs> and that's why we do pod about soccer and not world world events. <laughs> our, our, our comedic podcast. Exactly. So. Okay. Any iconic moments for Sheffield United? I think. I mean. I mentioned 1924 was last time they won a trophy, so not really in our lifetime. Yes. Uh, I would say probably the most memorable moment for them in recent history is in 2013. I'm going to give this a go, Zach. They were bought by a Saudi prince. Would you like me to try and say his name? Yeah, absolutely. Abdullah bin Musayed bin Abdulaziz Al Saud. That was good. That sounded very clean. Yeah. All right. Nice job. Uh, Interesting fact about him. He bought a 50% stake in Sheffield United in 2013 for one British pound, which is the equivalent of just over a dollar. How is that possible? Um, he basically was allowed to buy in 
at that small amount with the goal of proving his capital and saying he's going to continue to put investment into the club and the infrastructure. Of the wow. That's, so, that's wild. Yep. I mean, you get Sunderland for that price as well. That's hey. Right. Nice, nice. Uh, but he, he did. He got them to the Premier League. They were in League One at the time. Took them six years to, to get promotion there. During that time, obviously, Chris Wilder came in and, mm-hmm. uh, uh, and took the team. Chris Wilder actually was the manager that took them from League One all the way into, into the Premier League. So, Gotcha. So Chris Wilder, current manager. Let's go on to a couple of more current facts. Uh, stadium that they play in? Bramall Lane. All right. Has always been their stadium since 1800s, 1889. 32,000 nice. capacity there. Great atmosphere. I think we've commented on this on the pod mm-hmm. previously. It's a really, really cool stadium. It'd be great to see European football there for the first time. Um, we mentioned Chris Wilder. He's a hometown guy as well. Oh, really? I don't know if you knew that. I did not know that. Yeah, he played for the club. Now he's a right back back in his day. Okay. Um, and obviously he's gone on to manage them as well. He's a 52% win percentage as Sheffield United Ooh, manager. That's phenomenal. I mean, granted some of that was in the lower leagues, but yeah. you still got to win those games. Oh, that's really good. So. Okay. And what, what would you say that like Sheffield United's identity is as a club? I feel like every team kind of is known for... You know, one or two aspects. What would you say sticks with them the most? Yeah, they, they, they have an identity as a club of having a very loyal fan base. Okay. Um, in fact, back in 2007, um, they were voted the most obsessed fans of any team in the Premier League. Interesting. Uh, at the time, they said that the average Sheffield United fan thinks about their team 110 times per day. <laughs> <laughs> this is a verified a fact. Wildly arbitrary I have been statistic, but I like it. digging through the annals of history so the, the, to find the these archives statistics of scientific databases in northern England. That's, that's right. Uh, that's pretty funny. And I have some outrageous fans of Sheffield United that are celebrity fans that I'd love to throw by you as well. Absolutely, go for it. Sean Bean, the actor. Oh, nice, okay. Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. That one I would like to dig into a bit more as to why that's the case, but continue. <laughs> I have no idea. Jessica Ennis, very, very famous um, Olympic athlete from okay. the UK. Um, Mick Foley okay. of WWE. That's, yeah, that's a good Cactus one. Jack, that that, that one must have really touched, touched your heart as a huge it, wrestling fan. It, it does. And, and then, so the last one, this is a really random one. I had to like look at this one and verify it. It's actually on his Wikipedia, a direct quote from him. Juan Sebastian Varon is a Sheffield United fan. And the reason this is the case is because his uncle, Pedro Verde, played for Sheffield United between 1978 and 1981. So when Varon came to Manchester United and came to the UK, his dream was not to play for Man United. It was to play for Sheffield That's United. That's phenomenal. <laughs> Is that true? Wow. It's a true, true story. That's pretty cool. So he, he basically said, I'd love to don the red and white stripes of, um, of Sheffield United. I love that. Never got a chance to do it, though. But Unfortunately I mean, not. Yeah, was it wasn't bad enough to drop to no, the lower division. Maybe you go back and coach him one day, though. Who that's, knows? That's true. Yeah. Um, cool. Well, that was, that was a nice little... Uh, I saw a little history last night. I really enjoyed that, uh, learning more about Sheffield United. I would say the darling of the Premier League this yeah, season. Yeah, they're, they're definitely everybody's second favorite team right now, I'd say. I, I would say certainly you are. I, would you say they've overtaken Bournemouth as your fault? Not at all. I'm still a cherished uh, fan. <laughs> through and through. Through and through. How, all right. how can you not be impressed with what they've achieved? Uh, I mean, yeah, they're the most, I would say, the most impressive team in the Premier League yep. so far this season, considering everything. And so, to kind of wrap it up on Sheffield United, current season... Um, we both know the answer to this first question that I have, but would would the players, the fans, everyone involved in the Sheffield United organization, would they be pleased if the season ended today? In fifth place? Yeah. Yeah, I think they would. Yeah, rhetorical <laughs> question. Euro- about that. European football for the first time in their history oh, and my. fifth in the Premier League after 
you know, coming up and hoping to stay up only, I think, yes, absolutely. They would, they would have taken 17th at the beginning of the season and avoiding relegation. And so speaking of European football, we have Euros coming up in just, uh, it's about three months now, which is pretty wild. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll it'll kind of start ramping up. Are there any players on Sheffield United to look out for in uh, this year's Euro tournament? It's a good question. I did a little bit of homework on this one in advance. So um, I didn't know this, actually. I'm ashamed to say I didn't know this as a big Premier League fan. Did you know that Dean Henderson is not actually officially signed for Sheffield United. He's on loan for Menu. I only knew that because I heard it uh, a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that has not been talked about very heavily this so, year. So understudy to De Gea, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, oh, absolutely. Not, not going to get in that team anytime soon. So I could see that turning into a permanent transfer. But they're talking all, all the time about Dean Henderson potentially coming into the mm-hmm. England setup. Not having a good season, Mr. Jordan Pickford. So I could certainly see it happening. Um, George Baldock is another player who's been talked about, but he plays it right back. He's English. He's fairly young. I think he's about 26. Yeah, so you got to um, start over Trent Alexander-Arnold. That's the problem right there. <laughs> is, that, that, yeah. Therein lies the end of his Euro 2020 aspirations. Exactly. So, like, I, I think you, you you may or may not remember this, but kind of in the early 2000s, there was always a left-sided conundrum in the left side of midfield mm-hmm. and a left side of defense for for England, um, and they had pretty consistent right backs. It was hard to get in the team for that. They needed a good left-footed player. So yeah, um, but we really have my guess: David Beckham, Gary Neville on the right-hand side. That's true. Yeah. Not, not as strong on the left. Not Phil Neville. He sucks. All right. Well, so, okay. That was that was a bit of a delve back into history. <laughs> um, so a couple of players that you know might be making yours. Is there anyone else, or was, was that kind of the collection? Those were the ones. I thought Liz Musset, um is somebody who I think is a great up and coming player. Mm-hmm. Um, is he is he French? He's French, yeah, but I think he's a little bit too young. I mean, France also has eight lineups uh, right now. Yeah, I mean they they have so many players that they could basically start. Like to your point, like, it's really hard for you to get into the French national team. Yeah. I think that said, I think you know if. If there is a, an area where they need some help, it's probably in defense. Musset, probably not the right answer. But I think, you know, if you're a young defender coming through, then I think that, that you have an opportunity. Are you, to ta- are you about the French team? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't sure if we were back on Sheffield there. No. Um, okay. Well, yeah, I definitely will keep an eye out for that. I think, yeah, Dean Henderson could could be between the sticks for England in, in the summer, which would be pretty wild having... I'd like to see that. Yeah, that would be, that'd be pretty cool, especially, you know him having really this been his emerging year, um, his coming out party, if you will. Uh, And so last question on Sheffield United. Um, We are Sheffield United 25 games into the season, or 26 rather. uh, So they have 12 more to play. Where do you think they're going to end this campaign? So I hate to say it, but I don't think they're going to make Europe this season. Okay. I think they'll slip down a little bit. I think there are some powerhouses around them that, yep. you know, Everton are coming on really, really strong. Very hot. I heard a stat that since Ancelotti started at Everton, they have the second best record in the Premier League behind Liverpool. That's wild. So the two Merseyside clubs have the best record since Ancelotti took over at Everton. That's pretty cool. Yeah. For um, the city of Liverpool. So I can see them continuing to rise. Mm-hmm. I think it'll be tough. That said, Sheffield United right now, 39 points. Next two games against Brighton and Norwich, they're, they're safe. Yeah, they're, they're, they're pretty much safe, so I think super happy. I, my, my guess in answer to your question would be probably around 8th spot. Okay. I think they finished comfortably top half. Everton Cup. Um, but it'd be great to see them make Europe. I'd love that. That'd be cool. It'd be interesting to see how they invest, because as we've seen time and time again, if you're a smaller club with a smaller budget, you need to really be strategic about Europe. You're a smaller club, but you're not a smaller budget. Remember, they've got Saudi Prince Abdullah bin <sighs> Musayed bin Abdulaziz Al Saud oh, as their owner. That was... Mm, that was good. I have it written down. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Adam, for that that uh, 
Nice, nice summation of everything that is Sheffield United. You're welcome. I learned quite a bit in my research as well. So we both benefited. It was a lot of fun. Exactly. You want to do the same for Watford? Yeah. So we will hop over to Watford now um, and uh, hop over to Watford and also hop over to a different part of the country. As Mm -hmm. you said, Sheffield United uh, in the northern kind of half of uh, England and Watford uh, located a bit more central southern. So started off, where is Watford? Uh, so Watford located in the county of Hertfordshire. 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 I give it a shot. Yep. I'm not English as we've confirmed on this pod, <laughs> um, which is only 15 miles northwest of central London. So pretty much right outside the city, for all intents and purposes. Uh, but yeah, a bit of a middle-class town. You're kind of quintessential, at least for me, when I was looking up Watford and looking at images, in my mind, like the quintessential English kind of suburb or, or town. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, Watford, the football club, formed in 1898. Um, and that was when the two clubs, West Hertz and Watford St. Mary's, combined to create mm-hmm. Watford. Interesting. So, yeah, an amalgamation is how they came to be. Fantastic. Great work. Yeah. Uh, so so on from their uh, geographical location to the kind of origin of the club itself, um, something that really interests me about Watford and has since they kind of came onto the scene in the Premier League a few years ago is what is the deal with their mascot and crest, right? Because as anybody who watches the Premier League regularly knows, they are the Hornets yep. and their mascot is a giant moose. There's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> Go for it. So, initially Watford, when they were founded, were called the Brewers. And that was in reference to a brewery called Benskins Brewery, which way back a hundred or so years ago, owned the land that is uh, is the land on which Vicarage Road, the Watford Stadium, was built. Okay. So, initially the Brewers was their name. Now, in 1959, Watford became the Hornets, and this was due to their new kit colors that were launched that year, the gold and the black that they wear today. Mm -hmm. People saw that, thought the Hornets, so the Brewers became the Hornets. Now, this is where it gets interesting. In 1978, Adam, the crest changed to be a heart, H-A-R-T, so it's not a moose, so what I just said a couple minutes ago was incorrect. I always thought it was a moose, it looks like a moose. But it's a heart, which is a type of deer, elk type animal. Okay. And and the reason that it was changed was there's a, I guess, a a pretty heavy population of hearts in this area of England. Okay. However, the colors of the club did not change. So everyone said, you need to keep it as the Hornets because that's not what a heart looks like. (laughs) Hearts aren't yellow and black. So has the mascot existed since that time? So that well, I don't, I don't know in the '70s if they had like the same level as of like man running around and man or woman running around in big fair blow up suit. Yep. But since 1978, they have been known as the Hornets, but had the crest of a heart, which in my mind is a moose. There you go. That's a very very random story. Yeah, they were also the Blues in the '30s because for like two years they wore blue jerseys. It screams of a club lacking identity. Yeah, it does. Um, They'll have their identity soon. It'll be a championship club. Ooh, that's a harsh one. Well, we'll get to that in a little bit. <laughs> um, so, kind of going on to like the the achievements that they've had. Titles and trophies have eluded Watford, just as with Sheffield United. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, Watford has only won. 
the league, and when I say the league, I mean a top four, playing in the top four division, so mm-hmm. professional football in the UK. They've only won the league once, and that was League Two that they won in the 1997-98 season. Okay. So that's the only time that they have finished first in a league. They've won the championship playoff twice, um, but they've never finished first in the championship or League One or obviously the Premier League. Perennial underachievers. Perennial underachievers. And they also have never won the FA Cup. They've made the finals twice, the most recent time being last year, mm-hmm. when they got smacked around the pitch by Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Um, have and, they played in Europe? Um, oh, I don't believe so. I would. The amount of research I did today, I would bet pretty heavily that they have never <laughs> played in Europe. Would they have qualified for Europe by nature of losing the FA Cup final? Uh, no, they did. Um, no, because last year was the first year that the runner-up doesn't get FA Cup. Because it goes to the six. It goes to, yeah, it goes down the table. Um, so if they had previous years, had they pre- come yeah, if they had, if they had come in, made the finals and lost eight nothing in previous years, then they would have <laughs> poor Wofford uh, made the final or made Europe rather. Um, so again, a, a pretty heavy Darth of titles and trophies for Watford yep. historically. Um, that being said, a number of famous players through the club, I, I will admit, uh, there is, none of these players are players that I have ever heard of. Have they made Europe? They made it in 1983-1984. They made it the third round of the old UEFA Cup in 1983-1984. It's the only time in their history they've done so. So they have not been in the Inner Toto Cup, is what you're talking <laughs> Inner Toto Cup, nor the, nor the Champions League, nor the Europe. Toss it out the window, then. It there you go. Count. It doesn't count. Sorry, Watford. So, so some famous players, and admittedly, uh, these aren't players that I was previously familiar with, but a number of interesting kind of stat lines to look at here. The first is the uh, widely considered the best player in Watford's history, uh, Luther Blissett. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, is their all-time leader in both appearances and goals, hmm. scoring 186 goals in 503 games for the club. I have not heard that name before. Yeah, so uh, Luther Bliss said, um, certainly, you know, a diehard Watford fan would, would really consider him the best player ever. Uh, John Barnes is another one. Made his, oh, John Barnes for sure. Yeah, so actually John Barnes was the one that name kind of rang a bell to me. Um, Ex-Newcastle. Really? For a hot minute. Really? They're signing all these aging players like Ian Rush and John Barnes at the same time. Well, so John Barnes, yeah, for for somebody from Great Britain, certainly a name that that would pop up. Debuted at 17 years of age, got called up to England at 19, which is remarkable. Only two years in between that. He was a cracking player. Did you know this? In 2016, the Times newspaper in England voted John Barnes England's greatest ever left-footed player. Wow. That's an honor. That is a hell of an honor, I would say. Uh, so John Martin's definitely maybe actually competes with uh, Luther Blissett for best player in, in Watford history there. Mm-hmm. And the last one I, I just marked down one more, Nigel Gibbs. I want to give a shout-out to Nigel Gibbs, a right-back. Spent his entire career at Watford, which I always, you know, that warms my heart seeing the player. Yeah, it's nice. Stayed at the same club. He was made club captain in the mid-'90s and has 411 appearances Nigel for Gibbs. the Hornets. There you go. Some, some good players there. Um, John Barnes definitely the one that rings out for me, though. Yeah, I yeah. would agree. I love it. Um, okay, so moving on from that, let's talk about iconic moments. What do you think are the most really special moments in the history of Watford Football Club? All right. There's really one moment that, that pops out to me, and, and probably a lot of Watford fans, uh, again, due to their lack of any sort of titles or trophies, and that is the goal in the 2013 Championship Playoff semifinal. 
a goal that will never be forgotten by Watford fans. Setting, setting the stage for you, it was Watford hosting Leicester in, mm-hmm. in the playoff semifinal. It was the second leg, so it was to determine who goes to the playoff final with a spot in the Premier League on the line. Uh, in, in the 90th minute, um, excuse me, Anthony Knockhart on Leicester mm-hmm. goes down in the box. What was shown on camera to be a complete dive, which just reinforced my big, big distaste for Anthony Knockhart. I can't stand that guy. But at the moment, they didn't have VAR. Penalty was called, and Knockhart stepped up with an opportunity to send or send Leicester to the playoff final. Mm-hmm. Shoots, penalty saved, rebound goes out to Knockhart. Second save, ball is cleared, everybody in the stands going wild. Leicester kind of falls asleep for a second. And I think it was it was just, you know, they thought it was over. They thought, ball's going to go in the net. We're going to the final. The entire Watford team pours forward. Ball is played across, headed back to the center of the box. And Troy Deeney, the talisman for the club, runs up and hits that ball. And I read this today. He said, I hit that ball as hard as I possibly could. Didn't go for any aim. My goal was that if the goalie got a hand on it, he was going to be pushed into the goal as well. <laughs> hits it. As hard as he can, ball flies into the corner of the net. The entire stadium erupts, and it's the legendary call of the commentator just screaming Dini at the top of his lungs. Crowd rushes the field. Unfortunately for Watford, they then lost in the playoff final, <laughs> but that is one of my favorite moments in football history. Yeah, I'd like to see that, actually. I don't I don't remember that, actually, as it oh happened. Oh, my so God. It is good. unbelievable. I'm going to watch that here after the pod. It'll be a good one to watch. But mm. Tridini, Watford legend. Watford legend, absolutely. For sure. So that, that was a cool one. Um, but, yeah, besides, besides a goal to get them to a playoff final that they did not win, not a lot in their history. <laughs> that kind of sums up Watford for me, I would say, right? Yeah, it, it, I, I think that's pretty fair. Um, um, I'll, I'll just run through a couple current facts of the club to wrap it up. Yeah, go for it. Uh, currently play at Vicarage Road, which was built in 1922. Mm-hmm. Has an attendance of currently only 21,500. Small stadium. Yeah, one of the smallest in the Premier Leagues. Uh, managed by Nigel Pearson, perennial relegation uh, manager that somebody brings in when they're sitting in the drop zone. Manager of the month for January, I would say. That is true. I Yeah, have they announced that yet? I don't know. Actually, a good thing. Let me look that up. Okay. Uh, but to go on with Watford, kind of looking at their identity as a club. As I mentioned, one of the smallest stadiums in the top flight. That being said, a, a very loyal fan base in a, a fairly modest part of England. Um, and one supporter in particular that I wanted to point out. Do you know who is the most easily, easily, easily by far the most famous supporter of Watford Football Club? I do know this. Okay, Sir, Sir, Sir Elton, Elton John. <laughs> so, Sir Elton John, uh, if people don't know, grew up in the area, lifelong supporter of the club, and actually became the club chairman in 1976. So, secured their first promotion to the first division only five years later in 1981-82 season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now, fast forwarding to today, the Elton John stand was opened in 2014, which added... 4,200 new states to the state, new seats to the stadium. Excuse me. So, really, an integral part of the club identity is Sir Elton John. Yeah, fantastic. He's a he's a very famous fan, and obviously one that I actually attributed to the club. It's interesting. You think about that. Just are there any other iconic people that you associate with other clubs in the Premier League? We'll talk a bit about Newcastle, I think, a little bit later on, but. Is there anyone else that you think of, like, as any of those top four clubs, maybe? I guess for Manchester City, you think about Oasis, right? You think about the Gallagher brothers. Yes. 
That's a, that's a good shout. Um, for Liverpool, any any famous fans that springs to mind for you? Can we, let me think. I mean, they're like, they're certainly one of my favorite rappers is a diehard Liverpool fan. You probably haven't heard of him. His what? name's Loyal Carter. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a big fan. I, I know. No. You dripped in sarcasm when you said that. <laughs> Not um, But uh, yeah, I, I guess that's something I'd have to think about a bit more. Um, is yeah, like clubs that are so, or excuse me, like. Players and or not players, geez, I can't speak right now. Famous celebrities that are so heavily invested in a club, you know, go to a lot of games. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. is, yeah. there, is there anyone that comes to mind for you? Not for not for Liverpool, no, not not for Liverpool, but not, like not across the Premier League or English football. I would say Oasis, probably the biggest ones there. Um, across the rest of the Premier League, that's a good question. Um, hmm. Well, we'll have to get. Well, maybe we'll, we'll revisit that next episode. Yeah, exactly. That'd be a good, good, good topic of conversation. I think. Yeah. Um, well, obviously, you know, there are there are a number of celebrities in England that are massive football fans. So Absolutely, we'll be able to dig up some information for our next episode. Um, yeah, going on to the current season that Watford is having, uh, one that is very, very distantly different than Sheffield United. Yeah, let me ask you this, Zach. Um, do you think that Watford would be happy if the season ended today? <laughs> Obviously, I think in 19th is probably not where they want to yeah. be. But, uh, you, you know, they've, they've, they've made a good comeback. And even if they went down at this point, do you feel like they feel good about the, the performance to try and drag themselves back into the hunt? I think, in a way, it's as easy to answer that question as it was for you to answer about Sheffield United. But in the opposite way, absolutely not. Uh, yeah. Getting relegated is never an acceptable you know, end to the season. So but put, I would, it, put it put it in perspective where they where the how they started the season and how they've improved over the season. Um, it would give them hope. It would give them hope coming like, straight like, back up if they did go down, and but, they're only two points away from being safe. Right but now. would they be pleased? No, probably they, not. Yeah, they, I I probably wouldn't be pleased if my club went down um, unless it meant that Mike Ashley sells, and then I would be fine if Newcastle well, went down. We tried that twice, didn't work. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it didn't work at all. <laughs> we've, we've ran ran the distance with that. Um, but yeah, so so a couple. Well, I guess really, there's only one player that I had written down for somebody to look out for in Euros, and this is a distant shout as is. England, with all of the injuries that they have suffered, or their strikers have suffered, perhaps Troy Deeney gets in the team on the no. bench there. I don't think he would play at Dude, all. Dude, I see Ben Foster getting in the England team before Troy Deeney. <laughs> I think Jordini could get a shout. Oh, I don't know. What That's if like fair. two more? What if more strikers go down for England? Dude, what about Gerard de, de la Faye? No, no, he's not going to play for Spain. You don't think so? No, I don't think so. I thought about that long and hard, but he hasn't. Player. He hasn't played for them in a while. He's um, a great, great talent. Dude. He is um, twenty-five still. I know. I know. Uh, but yeah, I, I think that Dini is the only long shot, and a long shot it is. So I, I don't think anybody from Watford will be playing in the US. That's fair. And then um, I guess the last question then for you would be, um, based on this season so far, do you think they'll have wide relegation and where do you think they'll finish? In the last day of the season, Watford visiting Arsenal. Arsenal sitting comfortably in 11th. With 44 nothing draws. left <laughs> to play for. The 93rd minute comes around. It's a nil-nil game. Ball is played into the box. A scramble. Troy Deeney runs in, slams the ball into the back of the net. Cementing his spot in Gareth Southgate's squad. (laughs) (laughs) And that, those three points on the final day. Actually, no, let's say that they're down 1-0 and that gives them the one point they need to go from 18th to 17th and Watford survives 
in the final minute. I'll just give you hundred dollars if that happens. All right, <laughs> I'll shake, <laughs> up, shake that right on that right now. now. Um, but yeah, I, I think that I, I have a suspicion that they will sneak out of the relegation zone. I think they'll get seventeenth. They're playing well right now. Yeah. I, I, I read something about Watford the other day actually. Um, so two two points to just kind of wrap up on them. They actually have conce- are given up the most points from winning positions in the Premier League this season. That's such a frustrating thing to hear. Seventeen points that they've thrown away from winning positions. If you think about the, their recent win, uh, the recent game, sorry, against Everton, they were two 0 up in that one. They lost three uh, two, and in their last game they were one 0 up and they drew that one two two. Um, so just I don't know. They, they give away a lot of points. Um, so they've really got to get that um, figured out. The one thing I would uh, add in addition to that is. I've been hearing a lot about them of they play really, really well when the game is tied um, and they feel like they need to go at it and they attack and they're really, really good going forward. Decor is in fine form right now. But as soon as they get in front, they want to kind of revert back to these defensive tactics. Yeah. These defensive tactics are going into their shell. That's not where they're at their best. They have some good flair players. They need to make sure that even when they go in front, they continue to be on the, on the front foot and, and push their attacking players forward. Yeah. That's a good point. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and one last thing to close out. I did look up the manager of the month. It was Jurgen Klopp. Surprise, surprise. Do you know he's broken the record for the most Barclays manager of the month awards in a single season? And it's only been January. That's There's still wild. February, March, and April to go. For him to win that award <laughs> five and time. And he's already got five. The previous record was four for Pep. That's crazy. In a whole season. Wow. That's wild. So, um, Jurgen Klopp, we tip our hats to you. If anyone else wins manager of the season, be it'd be ridiculous. 15 yep. wins in a row now for Liverpool. That's crazy. All right. Well, that was our, our spotlight sections. We're going to take a quick break, and afterwards we will dig into our final spotlight, uh, maybe a low light currently of Newcastle mm-hmm. United. Exactly. All right, we're back on the False Nines. Uh, we've done our spotlight on Sheffield United and Watford, and now we're going to do a spotlight on our very own club, Newcastle United FC. Let's start, Zach, uh, with a brief history of the club. Where are Newcastle in terms of their placement in England? The tippy-tippy top of the country. They are, northeast Northern of the city. That's absolutely right. And how did they become to be Newcastle United? How did they become to be in Newcastle United? I know, the ma- I know the origin of the mascot. So the Newcastle Magpie is named after a bird that is found in the area. The That's Magpie. Right. Yep, we are the Mags, exactly. So Newcastle actually got their name. They were originally called Newcastle East End. Um, and in a bit to start drawing larger crowds, they decided to adopt a new name. So there were a couple of names banded around. Newcastle FC, Newcastle Rangers, Newcastle City, City of Newcastle. Um, but in 1892, Newcastle United was the one that they finally landed on. Um, it's been that way ever since. All right. Yeah, it has. Newcastle, uh, a club steeped in tradition. Titles and trophies, uh, just like the two clubs we've covered today. Whew, this is a rough topic, but actually better than Sheffield United and Watford, I would say. In what way? In uh, just in terms of the fact that we have won multiple um, domestic leagues. We've won FA Cups plenty of times. There are some European trophies in there as well. Obviously, we have a storied history in Europe um, in, in recent years, in the last 20 years or so. So I think, you know, when we look at the Newcastle United's honors, we've won the Major League, the first first division, the old first division, four times. Last time was in 1926. FA Cup six times. Last time was in 54-55. And our most recent trophy was, of course, the amazing Ferris Cup, the iconic, iconic trophy that we lifted above our heads in 1969 best memory of my wait i wasn't alive for that one still haven't seen newcastle win a trophy but fantastic for the newcastle fans that were alive all those years ago 
All right. So from titles and trophies that all occurred, it seems like, before 1970, <laughs> um, two famous players, uh, obviously the, the first name that would come to mind, Alan Shearer. Absolutely. The, the uh, uh, highest goal scorer in Premier League history. What are some other folks that you would put in that category of maybe not Alan Shearer you know, level, but some of the most famous players in Newcastle's history? Yeah, I think uh, Malcolm McDonald is always mm-hmm. mentioned Supermax. as, as one, of the, uh, one of the best players that ever played for Newcastle. Had a lot of goal-scoring records at Newcastle before Mr. Shearer came along. Mm-hmm. Um, and then two other players that I would highlight here, Paul Gascoigne. Okay. Um, Newcastle legend. I love Gaza. And then Peter Beardsley as well. Mm-hmm. Um, two very great creative players. Chris Waddle back in the day, actually, now that I'm thinking about it, is probably, probably worth a mention. And then in recent years, of course, we've had some great players um, that have played for the team. Sure, you mentioned people like Les Ferdinand, Andy Cole, um, some great, great folks back there as well. Yeah, Janola. Janola. Come to mind. Tino Espria. Tino Espria. Um, and then going even more recent, I would say like, Fabrizio Colaccini on his day was one of the best center backs I've ever seen. Colaccini was one of those players that you just couldn't help but really love as a, as yeah. a fan. Yeah. Um, so Colo, I think Dubravka could go down as an all-time great for Newcastle if so. he if he stayed. Um, but I, I just like the level at which he plays is something that I haven't seen since He's incredible. Shea keeper. Given. Yeah. Um, I best, think he, best keeper since Shea Given. Absolutely agree. With yeah. That. Um, and then of course Paul Dummett. Mm-hmm. Need us say more? No. Welsh legend. <laughs> Welsh Newcastle legend. That's right. My um, two favorite things. Yeah. So yeah, there have been a number of I- iconic players. Uh, Speaking of have... iconic players, Zach, yeah. what would be your most iconic moment in Newcastle? Yeah. So, so I thought about this and, you know, being becoming a fan of Newcastle in the, the mid-2000s myself, um, the, the one moment that sticks out to me and I know until the end of my days will always stick out as, in my mind, the greatest moment in Newcastle history that I've ever witnessed was the Czech Tioté goal in the mm-hmm. 4-4 draw against Arsenal in February of 2011. For those not familiar with it, Newcastle hosted Arsenal uh, at St. James's Park. Was down, we're down four nothing by halftime. It, it was the wor- It was to this day the worst half I've ever seen Newcastle play. Um, and Are you sure there's been some pretty bad halves? Four 0 though is, <laughs> is a pretty bad one. Um, but yeah, and the second half came out firing and was able to get the score back to four three. The lift, uh, the roof was already lifted off mm-hmm. St. James's Park when uh, Czech Teote scored his only, what ended up being his only goal for Newcastle, a left-footed volley from about 30 yards out. And I've, I've never, ever seen St. James's Park uh, with the energy that they had when that happened. Yeah, um, that, was, that was an amazing, iconic moment for them. Yeah. And Czech Teote, rest in peace, obviously mm-hmm. Newcastle legend. Yeah. Um, great, great player. Gave his all for the club and I think everybody's a fan of, of Cheeky, so... Any iconic moments besides that that stick out to you? Yeah, so I'm a little bit older than you, as I mentioned. So I was around for the kind of late 90s Keegan era. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the most iconic moments that I remember in Newcastle history is uh, us blowing the title. Um, after having a, I think, double-digit lead at the top of the league at the time, um, Keegan came out in the press um, and, and kind of had that iconic interview where he said, I would love it if we beat them. Love it. About Manchester United, mm-hmm. um, and then we did not win it. <laughs> and then we we, we, left, we the left fateful moment. Yeah, yeah. I, think I always attribute the loss of that to two to two players on Manchester United's part: Eric Cantona, mm-hmm. um, and then Peter Schmeichel. Peter Schmeichel, in my opinion, still one of the greatest ever goalkeepers in the Premier League. Yeah, you could say both of those players in the conversation for top five foreign player oh, yeah. in in Premier League. A lot of people still consider Cantona to be the best foreign player. The, that's yeah, he's, in the he's Premier League. exceptional. Like, um, we, we had an amazing team at the time. We talked about Janola, Ferdinand, Shearer, but I mean, 
so did they. They had some fantastic players in the team mm. at the time. We were the entertainers. We were, you know, we would rather um, lose four three than win one nil. That was kind of the the mantra. Oh, how times have changed. Oh, how times have side. changed. Um, we're certainly not the entertainers anymore. No, I can't see us scoring four goals in a game all season. So absolutely not. Um, um, but no, that that for me, the Keegan years are probably the most iconic for me. I like that. I wish I was. You know, I wish I was there for that as a fan uh, yeah. because I've never really experienced anything like that still didn't win a trophy Zach you didn't miss much yeah that's true um, <laughs> so just running through current current facts about Newcastle as we've mentioned time and time again St. James's Park one of the most lively stadiums in the Premier League a capacity of uh, about 54,000 so also one of the biggest stadiums in the Premier League yeah manager of Newcastle currently our lord and savior Stephen Bruce local lad that's right yeah. legend come home alright um, enough of that then <laughs> reputation and club identity I would say just fans who are loyal to an almost insane extent I mean, yeah, incredible fans. Like incredible, incredible atmosphere. Incredible. Yep. Loyal to a fault. Sell out every game. Sell out on the road as well. Always those fantastic road fans as well. Yeah, so definitely known as one of the wildest and, and most loyal bunch in the Premier League. Current season, Adam, would you be pleased if it ended today? Right now? Yeah, absolutely I would be because we're yeah. in 12. We're, we're not getting relegated. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I would, take, I would take survival. I think that's the name of the game. Right, We're at 31 points right now. 40 is the magical mark. We need three more wins if um, if that is to ring true again. So, yes, I would say absolutely we'd be, we'd be um, happy if it ended today. Um, question for you, Zach. Uh, any players that we should think about for the Euros that Newcastle might have? Yeah, so uh, a few actually, um, which is funny considering how awful the style, like the, the quality of football we've played this year is. But yep. first one who, um, you know, barring any injuries, will, will definitely be playing in Euros is Fabian Char. Center yes. back for Newcastle, center back for the Swiss national team, um, has been noted as one of the best players on the entire Swiss national team for their qualifiers. Scored, I think it was two goals in three matches, all of which were his classic, now classic marauding runs from center back where nobody actually thinks that he's going to step up and then he just puts him back. He in only scores screamers. He only scores screamers. So, Char. Again, barring a setback, will play in Euros. Uh, besides that, uh, a shout that I would want to give is actually a player that technically is not uh, a Newcastle player, but uh, Valentino Lazaro uh, for Austria. Hmm. So Austria has made Euros, and he uh, played in a qualifier last fall, so could be getting some time. Yeah, good good call. I like that one. What about you? Any players that you'd want to keep an eye out for? Um, I think you've, you've kind of covered the, the main two there. Another one that I say might be on the outskirts, potentially, uh, if they qualify, is Martin Dubravka. Yep. Um, certainly he'll play for um, Slovakia. It's just whether they make it through the playoffs yeah. or not. His spot is not the question. It's their yes, spot. Yes, he will start for Slovakia <laughs> if they make it. Yeah. Will they make it is the question. Um, same with Kieran Clark. I know you mentioned that as well. Yeah, Kieran Clark is um, is a great player. He's still, I think, only 30, so he's certainly got a couple more years of international football on him if the Republic of Ireland make it. Republic of Ireland, yeah. So actually, three teams in in Great Britain who are qualify or who are competing for a spot still. Can you believe that Scotland still have a chance? No. What it's, a terrible team! I mean, it just speaks to how bad the idea is to ex- expand tournaments because you get a terrible team like Scotland. As a as a as a Welshman, though, I mean, we're, we're glad that we qualified, but we were totally taking that of back course, if, we, yeah. if we had it. You you shake the hand when when it's put in front of Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Major nice. tournaments are where you want to be. Yeah, so so um, all right, last question when it comes to Newcastle, we went over this with 
both Sheffield United and Watford, based on the season so far, currently sitting in 12th. Uh, you and I both agree we'd be happy if we ended in 12th, but where do you expect them to finish, Newcastle United? Bottom half, but safe. I think okay. we finished 14th. Yeah, 14th or 15th, I think, just makes sense. Yep. Um, I think we got enough to pull out a few more wins. We play good defensive football, and we can probably mm-hmm. grind out a couple of results. We're at 31 points. I think we'll be safe. Yeah, I think we'll be all right. All right, well, that's our final spotlight of the week. And, Adam, I, I think we'll kind of come back to this uh, little spotlight section in yeah, the future. Yeah, fun. Hopefully our listeners enjoyed and um, are a little bit more educated, mm-hmm. um, certainly specifically on Sheffield United and Watford as they are historically smaller clubs, I think. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so uh, predictions. It's been a while um, yeah. since we touched on the predictions. It has, and we're not doing any new predictions this week because, again, we're halfway through fixtures. So um, we decided to kind of give that a, a skip. But we will talk about what happened in match week 25 we tied again zach five to five yeah i'm maintaining my three-point lead right now three-point lead continues so i predicted bournemouth to win 2-1 at home over villa zach you predicted sheffield united to win 1-0 at palace i was bullish on palace despite the palace plunge shouldn't have been bad decision on my part and and on the same side looking at that how did i not know that bournemouth was gonna win 2-1 at villa (laughs) against villa you gave bournemouth a clean sheet as well too i'm like bournemouth or zach that does that does not happen so 30 27 to zach still still a three-point lead certainly um clawbackable if you will i've I've held it for long enough so we'll see what we'll see if i have a late season collapse like newcastle (laughs) in the late 90s see if we have a zachary plunge yeah it's true um and so uh Last kind of statistical thing about the Premier League before we go into our bit looser sections. Top scoring charts have not changed, um, just again due to this weird fixture list and the teams of the players in question have not played their 26th match. Jamie Vardy still holding that lead. Uh, It's down to one goal now, so he has 17 on the year. Hasn't scored in a while. Um, Has kind of found a bit of a goal drought. Also was injured for a match. 17 goals. Sergio Aguero was 16, um, so sitting in that silver boot position. Yeah, I think one thing to mention about Aguero, um, Man City actually had their game postponed due to Storm Kira. Yes. Um, they were playing West Ham, and obviously that game on a Sunday was called off due to the weather. So um, that game has actually been rescheduled. Um, we have the weekend fixtures this weekend, okay. and Wednesday of next week is when they'll replay and catch up that game. Okay. So West Ham, again, if you remember, due to Liverpool's involvement in the FIFA Club World Ooh, Cup, they got the game shaking. postponed. They're getting shaken up right so now. I'm worried about West Ham right now. We'll, oh, yeah. we'll see, but that, that game isn't going to be too long before it gets played. All right, so Aguero could be getting more. He could certainly be getting uh, neck and neck with Vardy uh, with that, right with those two matches in a week. And then uh, tied for the, I guess, what I will call the bronze boot at the moment, uh, at 14 goals, so three back of Jamie Vardy. We have Danny Ings, Mo Salah, Marcus Rashford, and Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. Yes, Aubameyang back. So, so it could be, it, I mean, it's, it's a pretty open race right now. You know, any of those players get a brace or a hat trick, and this is all shaken up. Yeah, absolutely. It's getting a lot tighter. Jamie Vardy thought he was going to run away with it. It Mm -hmm. turns out he probably won't. It's going to be tight. He does run fast, but he might not run away with the title this year. Catch it, get banged. All (laughs) righty. So we're going to take another quick commercial break, and then we will jump right into your microphone moment and wrap it up with our cornerstone sections. All right, we are back from that commercial break, and now we're going to hop right into your microphone moment. So again, reminder on your microphone moment, this is where we take questions from our listeners. If you have a question that you want us to address in uh, future episodes, feel free to shoot us an email at the false nines podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's the 
false number nine s podcast at gmail.com and so yeah we have a nice mixed bag today first time i think that we have a question from somebody outside the uk or the us so it's an exciting day for us adam that's really exciting yeah go go for it i'm excited to answer a couple questions all right so first question from edwin in honduras edwin asks Mm. how do epl fans feel when they see all the other big leagues in europe meaning spain Italy and Germany have a title race and they don't. And so to provide a bit of context here for what Edwin means, in Spain right now, there are three points separating Real Madrid and Barcelona. Mm -hmm. In Italy, it's even tighter. Inter, Milan, Juve are tied on points with Lazio a point back. And then in Germany, Bayern Munich and RB Leipzig, one point separating those two. So Adam, what do you think about this? It's a good question. I think at the core of the question is how do Premier League fans feel when they see all the other big leagues in Europe are close? Um, first of all, Edwin mentioned Spain, Italy, Germany. I would say there are five big leagues in, in Europe. Um, the other Did you one put being, France in that category? Yeah, absolutely. Liga. I mean, they have, a, they have a team that's... They have two teams, actually. They're in the last 16 of the Champions League. They've that's got, fair. They've got Lyon and they've got PSG. PSG are 12 points ahead of the top of Liga. So it's fairly... I don't think it's accurate to say that they are the only big leagues. That said, they're they're pretty tight. Um, Spain, Italy, Germany, you kind of give some context context there. Italy, historically, last few years, Juventus have dominated. So it's mm-hmm. great to see some kind of closer title races in, in, in Italy. Germany, you could probably say the same thing for um, Borussia Dortmund and specifically Bayern Munich in, in recent years have kind of dominated in Germany. Now you've got um, Red Bull Leipzig who are actually towards the top of the league there as well. And then in Spain, historically, I think you've not had one team that dominates, but you've had two. Mm-hmm. You've had um, Bayern Munich and you've had Real Madrid. Or Barcelona and Real Madrid. Sorry, sorry, excuse me. Yeah, Barcelona and Real Madrid. And then sure. you've had Atletico Madrid kind of there or thereabouts, maybe with Valencia sprinkled in over time as well in Sevilla. So uh, I hear what he's saying. I think, how do we feel? I think kind of anticlimactic almost. Mm -hmm. Like there's nothing to play for. You think about the drama of Sergio Aguero winning the the title for Man City on the last day day of the season in the 94th minute. Like it's incredible, right? Those, Those are the moments that you live for. But at the same time, you can't help but appreciate how immense Liverpool have been this year after winning the Champions League last year. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think that the the wording of Edwin's question was really great of kind of leaving it open-ended. And so I agree with you. I think it's entertaining in a different sense of seeing, you know, can Liverpool do it? Can they, you know, be the, the first team to go without a loss in 16 years? Mm-hmm. Um, but it is a different type of uh, entertainment. And what I would say that there is lacking in the Premier League it, due to the gap is there's not really drama at, yeah. at the moment. And, yeah, that's, that, and that's what you have with the title race. They're boringly predictable at this exactly. point. But, uh, you yeah. can pretty much put your house on them winning and they're good to put in your um, accumulator bets if you ever have any uh, bet on Liverpool. So. No, it's true. That said, this weekend at Norwich, not many people expecting any upsets there, but reminder, Norwich beat Man City at home. That's true. And they won't be Liverpool. So I'm glad you brought that up, Adam. I'm <laughs> at least trying to create a little drama here in the pod. All right. Well, good question there, Edwin. Moving on to question number two. This comes from one of our, our most loyal question askers. That's right. Steve from England um, asked us, Zach, was Jurgen Klopp correct with his stance on the winter break with his Liverpool selection? And do you feel all Premier League clubs should follow suit next season? 
Um, <laughs> I think he was correct with his stance. Do I think that all clubs should follow suit next season? No, because not all clubs have the depth and quality that <laughs> Liverpool have. Fair. Like, not everybody can have a championship, a Champions League winning goal scorer as Divock Origi is coming in to sub when you need to give some players a rest. I think mm-hmm. that it is a bit naive to to think that everyone's in the exact same situation as Liverpool. That being said, I, I do think that you know Klopp was very, very explicit with his critique of how the fixture list is condensed in the month of December. And I think that a lot of people and a growing movement of people within the game are agreeing with him and becoming a bit more kind of outward with their opinion that things need to change. Yeah, I think you brought up some good points there. I think the fact that they were in the FA Cup and some of those games were were played over the course of the FA Cup as well meant that he had a chance to blood some of his youngsters as well in those mm-hmm. games. He's not taking that quite as seriously as we've mentioned in previous episodes. Yeah, and as I've said multiple times, nor should he. Yeah, I think probably lower down the totem pole of priorities for <laughs> title and, and European title. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, all right, yeah, but again, a, a good question is always from Steve. We'll, we'll go on the question three. It's Dane from Denver, and Dane asks, "Are there any?" Uh, are there any January transfers that you know may have kind of slipped under the radar for the casual fans? Or are there any that stick out to you, Adam? Yeah, absolutely. I can I can answer this one for sure. Jack Rodwell is the one that um, I thought stood out for me. Uh, Sheffield United, he signed for in January. Uh, he actually was unattached at the time. He has had a spell at Everton, at Sunderland as well. Um, kind of faltered a little bit in his career. So nice to see him get the vote of confidence from Chris Wilder. If anyone can bring the best out of a player. It's Chris Wilder, right? So good to see him get picked up by a Premier League team, and hopefully he'll get some some game time here soon. The other two that I mentioned, I wouldn't say they're under the radar, but I say this is the casual fan may not have noticed. Um, Erling Holland, we've talked a little bit about him on the podcast mm-hmm. before, but if you're not friend a, of the pod, friend of the pod, yeah, yeah absolutely, Erling Holland. Uh, if you haven't heard about Erling Holland before, he is a phenomenon. He's son of Alf Inga Holland, who played for Manchester City back in the day. Um, and his son now is fantastic, playing really, really well. He's a forward. He's in his uh, in his teens still. He was only 19 years old. Went from Red Bull Salzburg to Borussia Dortmund for 22 million euros. Um, and he scored seven goals in four games. He came off the bench. Came off the bench. Scored a hat trick. Scored a hat trick <laughs> in his first game for Borussia Dortmund. I think it was like in 25 minutes or something. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. And then the last one I mentioned, of course, how could we not mention the legend that is Latan? Mm-hmm. Um, he went from the LA Galaxy unattached um, at the end of his contract over to AC Milan, who he's played for previously. Mm-hmm. Um, so he's playing there. And, uh, and he scored in the Milan Derby um, uh, this past weekend, although mm-hmm. AC Milan then went ahead to blow a 2-0 lead and lose 4-2. That is right. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. That's a good, uh, good, good fact about them, too. So, yeah. All right. So moving on to our next question. Um, it's from Chris in Wales, my dad. Oh. He gave us a trivia question this week, Zach, and oh. uh, I've already researched the answer to this one, so I think it's only fair that you answer this. Okay. Behind Alan Shearer, who has scored the most penalties in the history of the Premier League? I feel like I read this recently, but nothing's really coming to me. I definitely think it must be an English player. I'm going to go with Wayne Rooney. Wayne Rooney's incorrect. Okay. Wayne Rooney's actually got one of the worst percentages in terms of penalty, penalty conversions in the Premier League. Okay. He's missed 13 in his Premier League career. Wow. Um, did you look? Did you think it was Wayne Rooney? How did I you know that's that off the top of your head? I researched it. Okay. Um, but, um, do you want to give me a clue? Quick yeah. clue? Yeah, I will. Um, he is not playing currently. Okay. He's retired. Okay. And the second and third place um, 
players in this list yeah. are very famous for playing in the center of midfield for England during the kind of 2000s. Okay, so it has to be Steven Gerrard or Frank Lampard. <laughs> yes, exactly. Oh, Those are the two players. Steve, Steven Gerrard? It's actually Lampard who came in. Okay, yeah. right. Yep. Oh, interesting. And then not really anybody close to that. I uh, thought Milivojevic might be up there, but he's not. <laughs> he's got he's a million not. last season. <laughs> yeah, um, Aguero's in that list, yeah, the top 10 yep, as well. Definitely um, thought that. The far and away top um, in the 60s right now is Alan Shearer. <sighs> That's crazy. Yeah. That is nuts. Yeah, he didn't miss a lot. Oh, my goodness. All right. Yep. Cool. Well, I appreciate that. We appreciate that question, we do. Chris. Uh, on to question number five. So we will toss him one more question here today. It's from Rich, also in England. Uh, and Rich asks, as he usually does in his, his long poetic way, if you had to choose between Mike Ashley with Steve Bruce running slash managing the club for the rest of his life, or a billionaire taking over Newcastle and plowing billions of dollars into the club with the caveat that you had to switch to Sunderland colors, which would you choose? Oh, that's a rotten question, Rich. And a dizzying one at that. I do it. Do you like what's your opinion here? Because I know where I stand. Ashley out. Yeah, absolutely. I would take any combination of colors. I would have the players wear ragged t-shirts i would have the players wear <laughs> full suits i would have onesies like, onesies like there's no there's no scenario in which i would take mike ashley and steve bruce for the rest of my life over sunderland colors no i i think you especially as a fan that didn't live or was around really to really appreciate the keegan years yeah i'm sure you'd love to have a billionaire come in and, and have yeah them in white well stripes. that's the thing is i'm also not from newcastle so i don't feel like the sense of animosity towards sunderland that most people you know do like yeah. i would say i would if it meant mike ashley selling the club and we get a billionaire who's going to put us at the top of the league i would play at sunderland stadium <laughs> like i would do anything the stadium of shite no you wouldn't do that <laughs> no i wouldn't but uh, yeah, I, I think that that's a, a, a good question, but an yeah. easy one to answer. Nice question, Rich. I like that one. Made us made us think about that one. Yeah. All right. On to our next section. The ladies demand it. The audience demand it. The listeners demand it. It's Zach's open mic, but probably not because he hasn't prepared for it. Oh, I do not have an open mic written for today. Let me Go think if it. I can write you a haiku. No, don't worry about off it. Off the top of my head, I'm gonna write you a haiku. Are you going with this? Um, yeah. So we're, we're gonna do a haiku <laughs> right now about um, Newcastle United and what would happen if they wore Sunderland colors. So for our listeners, um, I just want to give you a, a moment here. He put this when he put together our outline for our episode, Zach's Open Mic, and then subsequently failed to prepare a haiku for the podcast. So I had no idea until this point that that was the case. So I am absolutely enamored to see what he comes up with here. Okay, so I have a haiku today. Have I given you long enough to think of one? You give me 10 seconds there, which is all I need because I'm, cool. I'm a master haiku writer. Okay, great. So my haiku, uh, again, a haiku, a three-line poem. First line, five syllables. Second line, seven syllables. Third line, five syllables again. It's about what you know the reality would look like if Newcastle wore Sunderland colors. So my first line, Sunderland colors would look bad but worth the sale of Newcastle now. 
United. That's one syllable today. <laughs> <laughs> that is a stretch. I ran out of room there. That is a stretcher, but I'll, I'll, I'll give it to you. You're, you're a poetic genius. Thank you. I yeah. tried my best. That, that was a stretch. That was my poorest performance in Zach's open mic. You're welcome, ladies. Okay. Uh, moving on to armchair pundits. We'll get away from that as quickly as possible. <laughs> uh, Adam, do you want to go first or second today? And to remind everyone, armchair pundits, a section in which Adam and I both uh, give an opinion that we think might be a, either an unpopular opinion or one that needs some explanation to defend. So, Adam, first or second today? I'll go first. Um, actually, my armchair pundits and my 10 and 90 have a little bit of kind of European football feel okay. uh, this time. So, my armchair pundits is an English team will once again win the Champions League and Europa League this year. Okay. Yep. All so right. If you remember last season, we actually had, for the first time ever in European mm-hmm. competition, two English teams in the final of the European Cup slash Champions League, and then two Euro- two English teams in the final of the Europa League slash UEFA Cup. That was the first time that it ever happened. The only previous time that we got close was we had three Spanish teams in it a few years back. Liverpool actually made up the final when they played in the Europa League against Sevilla. So I'm saying not that we will get four English teams in the finals because that is all really entertained by the luck of the draw in some Mm -hmm. ways, but the fact that we will actually have two English teams continue to their dominance in Europe this year. Okay. So um, just to recap, Liverpool, City, Spurs, and Chelsea are in the last 16 of the Champions League. Man U, Arsenal, Wolves are still in the Europa League. They're at the last 32 stage right now. Um, I think that two of those teams will win the respective trophies. Um, Thinking about whether this has happened in the past, I did a little research on this. Has there ever been a case where um, two teams have won it and then actually done so again? Consecutively. Consecutive from the same country. Actually, from 2014 to 2016, combination of Barcelona, Real Madrid, and Sevilla. Sevilla, who have dominance in the Europa League. They won three in Europa League. Yep. Um, They won the combined UEFA Champions League, Europa League, for three successive seasons, from 14 to 16. Uh So it wouldn't be unprecedented by any means. Um, but it just goes to show that I think the power shift is changing from Spain to England in, in European mm. football. That's an interesting one. Yeah, that was Sevilla and Real Madrid both had those three consecutive wins that didn't directly overlap, but did overlap. To, I think it was two years. It was both yep. both those two winners. Yeah, exactly. All right, I like that. Yeah. Okay, so from from the greater European area to, to back home in England, uh, I'm going to take it all the way back to how we started the pod, which is with Sheffield United. And I'm going to go against something you said earlier, which is that you, you believe Sheffield United will drop to eighth. Mm-hmm. I think Sheffield United will miss out on the top four, but only on goal differential. Hmm. Meaning Stitcher that they case. will finish with the same amount of points as the fourth place club, who I think will be Chelsea, but they will miss out on goal differential. And the reason that I think this is true is they're currently only two points back of Chelsea. Uh, that being played, said... Played one game more. They have played one game more. Yep. You read my mind there. Uh, so obviously important to take into account. That being said, let's look at the next four matches in the Premier League for both those clubs, Sheffield United and Chelsea. Sheffield United in their next four matches. Brighton at home, Villa away, Norwich at home, Newcastle away. Mm-hmm. Chelsea in the next four matches, Man United yeah, at home, one, yeah. Spurs at home, Bournemouth away, and then Everton at home. Tough. So, so Chelsea does have the advantage of having three of those four matches being at home, whereas Sheffield United has them split two home, two away. But Sheffield United, Brighton, Villa, Norwich, and Newcastle, they should be expecting 12 points out of those four matches. I mean, based on this season's form, I, I wouldn't disagree with that. Absolutely. Newcastle is the highest 
in the table of those four, and they're in 12th place. And we won at Bramall Lane, though, don't forget. That is true. But Newcastle, that's exactly my point there. Newcastle is considerably worse at home this season. Mm, I don't know if I'd agree with that one. I, I think Newcastle doesn't know how to play at home. We've talked about this. They don't know how to play attacking football. They don't. They play on the counter. Exactly. Yeah. And Sheffield United, style, different coach. And Sheffield United is not a team that you play on the counter against because they're not going to you know bomb forward. Um, so I think Sheffield United very reasonably could win four in a row there. And then Chelsea, Man United at home, Spurs at home, Bournemouth away, Everton at home. Anything could come of that. Chelsea has not been in a good run of form recently. In fact, in their last four matches, uh, Sheffield United have picked up four points on Chelsea to get to now two within the, the top mm-hmm. four. Chelsea has been very unpredictable this year. So yeah. so I, I could see after the next four matches, Sheffield United sitting in fourth. Um, and they also have a considerably better defense than all of the teams that they're competing for the fourth place spot against. So I agree with that. Sheffield United has allowed 10 less goals than Chelsea. They've allowed eight less goals than Spurs, and they've allowed 14 less goals than Everton. Just I think what, what all of this does is put them considerably and and firmly in that conversation for the top four. The reason that they don't make the top four, though, on goal differential specifically, is they the goal scoring is not there for Sheffield United. They've scored 28 goals this season to Chelsea's 43, Spurs' 40, and Everton's 34. Does Troy Deeney cost them a spot in the Champions League? by denting their goal difference because he's Troy Deeney. Do they play Watford one more time this season? They do. Maybe. Troy Deeney could put up five against <laughs> Sheffield against that stout defense. Yeah. Troy Deeney, goal-scoring legend. England international, Euro 2020 top scorer. Exactly. So a, a pretty stat-heavy one there, but I think Sheffield United going into the final day has a shot at the top four, but does not make it. I appreciate the research. It was a good job there. Thank you. I tried, nice to, work, tried, tried to cater to what you like to hear, and that's numbers galore. I love my stats. Yeah. All right, so let's roll into 10 and 90. Um, last kind of section section or segment of the pod. Um, for listeners that haven't listened before, we're going to go some quick fire questions for you. Five from Zach, five from myself. Not trying to do it seconds. in 90 seconds. <laughs> well, we kind of have good intentions, right? But it's true. It's never out. happened. It never works out that In way. the 37 episodes I've done, it has never happened. It never happened. And it, nor will it today. So <laughs> do you want to go first or second today, Adam? I'll go second. Okay. Uh, all right. Great. Well, um, I am going to stick with a theme here today. And all right. that is my newly beloved Watford, who I spent... Wow. Sheffield United and Watford themed questions. Yeah. Who I spent hours mm. researching in, in, the, in preparation for this episode. So all Watford questions. And we're going to start with question number one. Mm-hmm. Uh, Adam, I ask you, what was the score of Watford's biggest win in club history? And what year was this match played? I'll give, you, I'll give you, for score, I'll give you margin of error of one. And for a year, I'll give you margin of error of 10 years. 9-0. Did not fit in that little window. They won 11-0 over a team called Maidenhead. And what year was this match played in? <laughs> so randomly, my brother-in-law Steve and my sister Susie um, lived in Maidenhead for several years. Is that in England? Maidenhead United, yeah. Okay. Yep. Um, it's very close to London. It's about an hour from that's, London. That's really funny. Yep. So what year did they best Maidenhead 11-0? I mean, they haven't played Maidenhead for several years because Maidenhead are super down the lower mm-hmm. leagues. Um, the 20s? Unfortunately not. It was in the year 1900. 
1900. Turn of the century. Oh, dang it, I was tw- 10 years out. Yeah, so, okay. so good guess, though. Um, we might be at 90 seconds now, so we've continued <laughs> to not meet the mark. Good job, 10 and uh, Question number two. How young was Watford's youngest ever debutante, and what year did he debut? 16. Yes. 16 and about 16 and a half. His name is Keith Mercer. Uh, I'll give you 10 years as well. 95. 73. 73, okay. Yeah. 16 years old. Yeah. Insane. Super young. That's wild. Uh, Question number three on the other side of that. How old was Watford's oldest player, and what year did he last play? Troy Deeney, 75 years old in 2040-something. Troy Deeney, not... The correct answer. Okay. Do you want to give a real guess, or are you locking that in? I'm gonna. I have no idea who it is, but I'll go with. Sure, a guess. Yeah. I'll go with a guess of forty for a goalkeeper. Forty-four. Oof. Uh, named John Goodall, and it was in what year? Let's go to the seventies again. Nineteen oh seven. Oh really, Mrs. Really Mark here with your ears. <laughs> this is tough. Um, was he a goalkeeper though? Uh oh, I don't know. I did not like, get forty-four. That. Would be my guess. But, yeah. yeah. I mean, you can't move at that point. Um, <laughs> All right, I'm course, seven years away from that point myself. I, I, can't, I won't be able to move in seven years. Now the listeners no longer think you're a spry 19-year-old on the pod. <laughs> I never thought that. Um, all right, question number four. You, you might get this one uh, as a footy fan. Who is Watford's biggest rival? Oh, Luton. Yes. Absolutely. And when, what year, or when was the last time that those two teams played in any competition? Can't be that long ago. Luton have been in the championships uh, 10 years ago? Close. It's 2006. Okay. They drew 1-1 in the championship, and that draw sent Watford, to, or locked Watford's place in the playoff semifinal, which they then went on to win to go up to the Premier League. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But Luton, Luton won of like that. No, they would not. You know have. Rich is a big Luton fan, right? Of course. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right, question number five. How much of a profit did Watford make <laughs> off Richarlison? <laughs> off Richarlison? Um I know Give that you... he signed for Everton for about forty million. Okay, and I think he signed for Watford for somewhere around ten. So I'll say about thirty million. Twenty-two and a half million. Pounds. Okay, and they made that profit after owning him for less than a calendar year. It's fantastic. They had him for one season and sold him for a twenty-two and a half million dollar profit. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Build your team around him. He's a he's a phenomenal player. He's a good player. All right. Well, uh, you got Luton. You got that one right. I got that one right, and I got the 16-year-old right. You did get the 16-year-old right. Not the player. Oh, that's true. But yeah. yeah, can't believe you don't know of Keith Mercer's exploits as a professional. That footballer. was brutal. You will suffer for these questions in our next okay. podcast, my friend. Sure, go ahead. All right, you ready for mine? Yeah, I've got a theme for you this week as well, as always. Um, you mentioned it a little bit earlier as well. I wasn't expecting you to do so. Last weekend was the Derby della Madonnina, which, as you know, is the Milan, Milan Derby. Derby. Yeah, at the San Siro, exactly. So, I'm going to ask you five questions related to the Milan Derby. You ready? Oh, okay. Who has the most Derby wins in Serie A? Uh, it's in Milan. No. It's Inter? It's Inter. 81 okay. to 76. Oh, wow. It's pretty yep. close. Yep. Yeah. Uh, okay, top goal scorer of all time in the Milan Derby. It is a player you'd know. Um, is he Italian? Is it Ronaldo? It's not. Is it Zlatan? It's not. He's played for both clubs, so I thought I'd take a shot there. <laughs> That's good. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. Last 15, 20 years. Um, hold on, who is it? Andrei Shevchenko. Oh, I would never have gotten You would know one. Shevchenko? I know Shevchenko, but yeah, I wouldn't, for Chelsea, wouldn't, wouldn't have guessed that one. 14 goals in Milan derbies. Huh? Wow, damn. 
Yep. Who has won the most Serie A titles between the two teams? AC Milan. How many? Twenty-four. No. Um, so actually tied on eighteen. Eighteen. Okay. Yep. Uh, last uh, one that Milan won was in two thousand eleven. Inter yeah. won in two thousand ten. Yep. Juve has won the last eight. Yeah. <laughs> which is crazy. As we talked about earlier yeah. on. Um, Inter and Juve right now are tied on fifty-four points with Milan, much further down the league. Probably not going to make it into Europe this season. So yeah, uh, we'll see how that goes. Biggest win in a Milan derby, winning margin. Four goals. No. Six goals. Six nil Milan. Jesus. In two thousand one. Wow. Oh my god. Yeah. That's insane. Yep. Big one. Um, okay. Final question. Who of the two teams has won the most UEFA Champions Leagues? Milan, Milan, not Milan. Milan. Yeah, yeah. They've won it. Almost the Champions League. Like, is this just the hit? Like, including when it was called the European Cup. Yeah. Um, Milan with seven, seven to three, seven in to favor, three in favor of Milan. Ooh, there we go. And then UEFA Cup slash Europa League. Oh, I've this is a bonus. Enter uh, with six. Three to nothing, Inter. So okay. Milan have never won the Europa League. They've only ever won the major tournament. T- t- yeah, I would take the, the Champions League sure. or Europa it's an, League. It's interesting though, just to hear the differences between the two sides. Yeah. And their achievements. So, all right. A little bit more facts for you about Inter and um, AC Milan. Okay, last question for you, Zach. Bonus sure. question, as always. Give me that bonus. I am going to give you the word. It is spelled C-W-T-C-H. C-W-T-C-H, I'm showing you the word. You don't need vowels in Welsh? No. We don't have vowels in Welsh. Don't be ridiculous. Just have Y's. Y's and L's. C-W-T-C-H. I'm so scared. Chishish. Chishish? Chishish. What is it? It's kutch. How though? <laughs> Kutch. I but there's no. Kutch. We're not going to go into the entomology and of, Kutch means? of these words. Uh, it means couch. It does not. It means a cuddle or a hug. Oh, okay. Kutch. You should go home, Zach, and give your girl a cuddle and a hug. I appreciate that advice, Adam. Uh, and you do the same. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Well, that will wrap up the 37th episode of The False Nines. Uh, we'll be back in a couple weeks, uh, probably jumping back into the Premier League, finding finding a more familiar structure now that the Prem will be back in, in full bloom midway through February. But yeah, the, the spotlight section, I liked it. I think we should incorporate yeah, this fun. more often. I like that. Yeah. I, I want to learn more about teams that I couldn't care less about. Yeah, exactly. All right. Till next time, Zach. Footy! Footy!